0: And was in a complete and total panic because he had invested in a syndication in an apartment in Marin, California, and it was kind of mismanaged, and the area kind of went downhill, and so they sold it and kind of at a loss. But he, over the years, he had been, um, you know, taking all those wonderful tax benefits and and uh, accelerated depreciation and and all those. It was probably different tax benefits back then, but he had taken so many write offs. And what a lot of people don't understand is that when you sell you had to pay that back. It is not uh, It is not permanent. So that's why you generally want to exchange whenever you sell, you want to exchange into a like-kind property. But he had been on a ski trip and he came home and he wasn't really taking his mail. I think he had been on a two-week vacation. And he saw that it had been sold and these people were such bad managers that they didn't even tell him. So he saw the letter and thought, oh my gosh, he literally had two weeks. To find an exchange. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here's your host, Annette Tali.
1: Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and my guest today is Kathy Fetke. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. I am so excited to have you. So, let me tell you a little bit about Kathy. She is the co CEO of Real Wealth and best selling author of Retire Rich with Rentals. She is an active real estate investor, licensed real estate agent, and a former mortgage broker. She specializes in helping people build multi million dollar real estate portfolios that generate passive monthly cash flow. Cash flow for life, with a passion for researching real estate market cycles, Kathy is a frequent guest expert on CNN, CNBC, Fox, Bloomberg, NPR, CBS Market Watch, and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, She was also named among top 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs two years in a row. Wow! Congratulations! Thank you. Kathy has two podcasts, The Real Wealth Show and The Real Estate News for Investors, both top 10 podcasts on iTunes with listeners in 133 different countries. Her company, Real Wealth, offers free resources and cutting-edge education for beginning and experienced real estate investors. Kathy is passionate about teaching others how to create real wealth, which she defines as having both time and money to live life on your terms. Awesome. That is so impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I got to get some tips from you on
0: how to get my podcast to be one of the top them on iTunes. <laughs> I think I'm lucky because I have a husband who's an early adapter and I had a radio show in San Francisco. And one day he said, Oh, there's this this new thing on iTunes and you can upload your podcast. And so he would just take my radio show and upload it with the commercials and everything. And, and so I think it does help to have the long, longevity there. But absolutely, keep, keep it up, keep going. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Tell me, Kathy, how did you get into real estate? Oh my gosh. Well, the very, very first um, you know, step into it was when we, Rich and I just got married in 1998. Seven, so twenty-three years ago, and uh, wow, man, where did the time go? Anyway, we were renting, and we had two kids. In and, um, and my dad called. I mean, literally, a, maybe a month after we got married, and was in a complete and total panic because he had invested in a syndication in an apartment in Marin, California, and it was kind of mismanaged, and the area kind of went downhill. And so they sold it, and kind of at a loss. But he, over the years, he had been. Um, you know, taking all those wonderful tax benefits and, and uh, accelerated depreciation and, and all those. It was probably different tax benefits back then, but he had taken so many write-offs. And what a lot of people don't understand is that when you sell, you had to pay that back. It is, not, uh, it is not permanent. So that's why you generally want to exchange whenever you sell, you want to exchange into a like-kind property but he had been on a ski trip and he came home and he wasn't really checking his mail I think he had been on a two week vacation and he saw that it had been sold. And these people were such bad managers that they didn't even tell him. So he saw the letter and thought, Oh my gosh, he literally had two weeks to find an exchange property or he would have had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in back taxes. He was literally on the verge of retiring. This would have set him back by years. And, you know, and he called in a panic and I said, dad, you know, I don't understand. I was young and, you know, young mother of two and just, you know, just not, well, no, I must not have been. Yeah. Anyway, I wasn't a mother of two yet because we just got married, but, um, but I, I just thought, you know, I can help you. What's the problem? And he said, I've got to find this replacement property. What do you, what, what does that mean? He said, I've got to find something that's worth $500,000. And I was like, and you need to find a tenant for that? Like, I'll be your tenant. I'm renting. I'll go find a place I want to live in. I'll take care of it and we'll take this problem away from you. And I didn't even think about my own gain. I just thought, kind of I did because I was like, I could pick up my house. Anyway, we ended up picking up, that day I found the most beautiful, huge $500,000 house because uh, this was 23 years ago and it's still San Francisco Bay Area, but that was still a lot of money in Lafayette, California. It was very high priced at the time. Uh, But it was, I knew that I could turn it into a fourplex. So I just, uh, we did the transaction. I, I found the property that day. He came out to look at it. We made an offer and we closed in like a couple of days. And suddenly Rich and I were moving into this gorgeous house and we turned the office There was a little office section downstairs. We turned that into a studio. There was a little in-law kind of granny unit. We made that a separate unit. And then the master bedroom was huge. And it had a separate door and and we put a little kitchenette. We turned it into a fourplex. So we got 2,500 square feet to ourselves. Nobody could share our space, but all that rental income pretty much covered our part of the deal, but we were living in the best part. And so it was like, wow, this is cool. And But that back then there was no, like we didn't know what we were doing. So we just went on Craigslist and we just like got crazy tenants that it was like, we didn't know, you know, well, why do we want to tell you kind of the things that happened? Eventually we realized we'd rather have maybe our friends, you know, live in those spaces. But those, you know, that rental income paid for us the mortgage pretty much let us live there for very cheap in this beautiful home where we could raise our children and eventually not have so many renters as we started to make more money. And then, and then I don't know if you know, but 97 was the beginning of the next boom. So every year that house made about $100,000 for the next 10 years. Wow. So we did really well on it. That was our first deal.
1: Amazing. Wow, <laughs> so you were house
0: hacking before, house hacking was a thing. Before Airbnb for all that and, and people thought we were nuts, but we kind of figured out once we found out Craigslist was just like not maybe not great. Um, we started to find out we had you know some friends who were single parents and so they would move in and it was just kind of like the shared economy also too back then before anyone was doing it because we found out it was awesome because you know one of our friends is a musician and again a single parent with the same age kid and and so he would he would go um, you know do music you know uh, perform at night. And we would watch his kid you know he it, it, it was just it just became a really wonderful way to raise our kids
1: awesome and from that did you go what did you do after having this experience what type of properties did you started investing
0: i just i didn't really think of anything beyond that it was just a way to and then i realized wait now we're renting and you know how are we ever going to buy this property and um you know we're taking care of it but at some point we wanted to buy it and so we talked to my dad and he s- turns out after you know, learning all about this, we we couldn't buy it because then we would be responsible for all those back taxes from the 1031 exchange. So we had to wait till we inherited it. Um, unfortunately, my dad passed, and we did inherit it. And um, so when that happens, you the property value steps up to market value, and all those taxes disappear. That's why a lot of times uh, people, when you when you buy real estate investments, it's a great idea like if you have five kids buy one house for each kid then by the time you move on you know each each kid gets a house and and then the you know at least at this point it steps up to market value when you pass on and they get it and they don't have to pay the taxes to-
1: that's amazing that's the how thing. I started I bought a duplex for my daughter and mm-hmm. a second duplex for my son and then I kind of like okay I'm liking this let me keep doing it and you know that's how I scaled up but it started with one duplex for my
0: daughter's education. It's 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 so smart. It just makes sense. But then, right around 2003, so about you know six years later, my husband was he had just come out with a book called Extreme Success. He's a business coach and he was kind of coaching people all over the world. And he was just doing amazing, incredible career. Uh, and then he he came home from his nat- uh, national book tour for Extreme Success. And he thought, you know, I've got this freckle. I'm going to go check out what that is. It wasn't there before the tour. So he went and checked and it turns out it was melanoma. For their, for their tests, they they thought it had spread to his liver. And they literally told him that he probably had six months to live at best because they thought it got into the liver and there was really kind of no, no cure for it back then. Um, so the first thing is like, don't ever believe doctors, you know, they can't decide when your life ends, only you decide that in my opinion, so he was like, no, I reject that idea, anyway, he he is uh, healthy today, but um, but uh, at the time, we didn't really know, and so we, that was when we realized, wow, this is really great to have this asset that we we can live here for so cheap, And and then I took it to the next step, because we needed the money, you know, while he was going through treatment, and just kind of figuring things out, So I took the playroom and turned it into, uh, I found out you could have exchange students and you get $600 a bed per month uh, for these exchange students. So I got like two bunk beds, (laughs) these four kids. (laughs) So that kind of got us through that, but it was like, wow, this thing is an amazing asset. But I also had, and we we decided we really didn't like that. There was way too many people. Uh, So we, I, um, thought, okay, I've got this weekend radio show because I had been in broadcasting most of my life. I worked at CNN and Fox and um, uh, ABC7 in San Francisco and KTVU. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just didn't want to be working full-time when I was raising the kids, but I kept this little uh, radio gig on the weekends that really had no focus per se, which is whatever was in the news, whatever I felt like talking about. I suddenly thought, well, I could take that show and understand how I can bring in more money. I, I just want to learn how other people have more money and where money's not an issue because it felt like it had been an issue for a while. Uh, we, didn't, we weren't prepared for emergencies and we still had to work trade time for dollars. We, didn't, we would invest 10%, but you know, it wasn't getting us anywhere quickly, that's for sure. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take this radio show and I am going to turn it to how do I make money and even better, how do I make passive income so that I can continue to be a stay-at-home mom, which I wanted to do when the kids were young. And then I just, you know, there was no podcast back then. There was no, there was nothing, you know, maybe a few books, there was late night TV and, you know, boot camps and all that stuff. And a few real estate investment groups that were really just about selling boot camps and CDs and products uh, that were way overpriced, like 10 grand to find out how to, I don't know. Do a foreclosure or something like that. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, I wonder if, if people will tell me, you know, if I can just interview people on this show and that's what we did. I just interviewed guest after guest after guest who was uh, either retired or had become a millionaire through their, um, you know, whatever they did. And it turns out it was for many, it was real estate. So that's kind of how that started. Wow. Amazing. The deal. All right, what uh, deal are we gonna talk about today? What deal? Um, whew, so many. I know you've got a, kind of a multifamily audience and we did, I told you earlier that we just sold our last multifamily. It was like a 250 unit in um, Mountain View, California across from Google. And um, it didn't go very well. Here's the thing. It was a $150 million building, California. Man, prices, you, you're never gonna find cash flow in California. So step number one, bad idea. Um, California laws, landlord laws are ridiculous. Um, So that was a bad idea. And I kind of knew that, but uh, because of the location and because our plan was to increase it from 200 units to 800 units. So it really could have been a huge moneymaker, but it was in California and it's hard to do business there. So we bought it for 150 million. Of course, we got investors and, and partners on it. And then we sold it for 195 million um, just a few years later. And one would think we just raked in the dough. We actually lost money on that. If you can believe that, even though I mean like we, it's incredible. And that's because of the cost of all the fees and the, um, you know, the, ugh, that we took on too much debt. And so kind of covering the debt service while trying to get this re entitled for 800 units, mind you, Mountain View needs new housing so badly, but they do everything in their power to not bring it online. So anyway, that was kind of my lesson, but it wasn't a typical apartment just for cash flow. We were really looking to tear it down and build a new building. And that is definitely more speculative. So learn my lesson there. All right. So let's, let's dissect it a little bit. So did you
1: how much was it when you uh, found it and how did you find it? 100, 150 million. Yeah, it was well, a big it, deal. But they able to negotiate it down.
0: Um, no, there was no negotiating in California. No, no, it was I mean, no, we didn't. It. The idea was if we could have gotten things. I mean, literally, we had um, the city council offices filled with people saying we don't you know, you, we don't want more housing but we want affordable housing so it's like okay how do we do that they rejected our design three times and then decided to go back to the original but you know that's like two months three months each time and so the delays and the pushback and the environmental studies and the um you know the demand for affordable housing which we gave we made 30 percent of it affordable uh we just ended up it just became too expensive right so definitely you know
1: studying your market and and seeing that uh, you know it's the specific market because maybe in another location in california it wouldn't have been as bad as that
0: uh, city you know some it would have it california is just tough you know i mean i i don't know maybe maybe somebody else could have made it work in another part of california but in the last three years regulations have gotten so bad I mean even we syndicate um, subdivisions as well we build su- single-family homes and raise the money uh, that that radio show I did that I turned into learning you know how to um, invest in real estate it just grew really quickly so now we have over 50,000 members and now we have a podcast the real well show and all that so um, we we have are able to raise a lot of money for our different projects and we were building in California again there's desperate demand for housing and yet to build it is almost impossible Uh, we found that with our subdivisions it was costing 120 to one hundred forty thousand dollars just in permit fees like how can you possibly create anything affordable so yeah the regulations just really got worse over the last three to four years so we don't we just don't we're done uh we're only building in uh business friendly places now
1: right what what other
0: locations are you, you are you moving from we're building in Nevada, uh, Montana, Florida, Texas, oh, in my backyard, I'm Georgia, here. yeah, places that, you know, in, in our research, we found that the demographic shift is really moving towards the southeast because of the affordability and the warm weather and the uh, low income taxes and the low property taxes. So, and the job growth and, and the less regulation, you know, they're... Red states, I guess you could say. So um, they—that's just where that's where we're doing business too now.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of companies now actually that are are planning to move out from California because the regulations and the costs are so high, and the state is not realizing that they are losing all those all that business, not allowing people to to actually you know produce because they are just even the landlord uh, laws—they are so strict. You know, they are. I think they passed uh, that you cannot raise the rent. Um, so that makes it, nobody's going to want to invest when you cannot get your return. So if you cannot raise the rent, you know, to yeah. get your
0: investment, then who is going to invest on it? Exactly. That's, that's why we're not, uh, we've, we've moved to areas that uh, really respect the fact that if, if someone wants to live in your property, they need to pay to be there. And uh, that it costs you money, too. I mean, you know, we've got all these rent strike stuff going on here in L.A. And it's like, did you, did you fail to realize that somebody has to pay for the stuff in that building? And, you know, anyway, uh, that is a side note. But what what we've been doing since is really helping people who are getting started and maybe they want to get into multifamily, but getting a big building is too much. So, in those de- demographic areas that I was saying where really th- the growth is going to the southeast, we help people get into one to four units because financing's gotten you know really wonky over the last couple of months with this coronavirus it's It's kind of harder to get the commercial lending, but you could still get the fannie and Freddie lending so if, if you get a fourplex on a on a fannie or Freddie fixed loan, um, which are pretty plentiful these days, you can get Ten of those, you know, they they qualify for ten, and you can have forty units. Uh, really, they're just small; they're fourplexes, but that kind of helps you increase your units in a in a maybe a more um, uh, in a way that doesn't feel so big if you're just starting out. You know.
1: Wow. Well, so so let me understand this. So you are getting ten different
0: fourplexes. Yeah, you, you can. I mean, we're working with builders now who will build one to four unit buildings. And and um, so a lot of people in our network are saying, I really want to be in multifamily, but I'm not sure I'm ready to manage a whole apartment on my own. And, and getting the financing is difficult because sometimes lenders want to see that you have the experience. Right. So it's just kind of a catch-22. So then maybe you have to bring in a partner, bring in a partner but then you got to split the proceeds with the pr- partner. So maybe starting out, you just... Start on your own with conventional finance, lock in these historically low rates. And if you get, if you, you know, you only need one loan for a fourplex, but Fannie and Freddie allow you up to 10 loans. So if you got 10 fourplexes, yeah, you'd have 40 units locked into conventional finance. That's, that's easier. And then, then you, you have experience. You can, you can go and get apartments and, and probably get the financing.
1: Awesome. That's a great idea. So <laughs> Uh, So now uh, we are now, you know, on the second month, I think, from of the coronavirus. What has changed on your investing um, now that we are dealing with this? Like, what are you planning to do in the next, you know, six months?
0: Well, we are shocking. We are shocked that the properties that we, I don't want to say shocked, but we're very pleased to say the areas that we have targeted for investing over the last 10 years you know we really were specific about where's the demographics where's the population going let's buy properties there let i I help people i'm a licensed real estate agent i help people buy properties in these areas and um because we're picking areas that were affordable and near job growth and landlord friendly and 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 like within again the rents that people can afford we haven't seen any change. If anything, there's been more applications than ever because we have low density buildings. Like I said, anything from single family homes to one to four units. And given the coronavirus issue, a lot of people just don't wanna be in a high density apartment. You know, they're not everybody, but a lot of people are thinking, man, if this is kind of our new normal, I'd like to have a yard. I'd like to be all to self, you know, to isolate or quarantine without, running into 20 people on my way out the door. And, uh, and yeah, so anyway, we've actually seen an increase in really strong applications. We have not had an issue with people paying rent because there's still jobs out there. And for people who lost their jobs, they're getting pretty good unemployment. So, you know, how long will that last? I don't know, but our, um, uh, you know, moving forward, I do think there's going to be some amazing multifamily opportunity because some people did get into bridge loans and, maybe got into projects they paid too much for and they thought they would renovate it. Now they can't, the funds aren't there. They're using their reserves to cover losses, you know, so there's going to be some stress in the market. So we are definitely looking at, uh, you know, looking at different multifamily deals over the next six months, but also sticking with our, our normal, which is, you know, the low density one to four units.
1: That's awesome. And, you know, I have to agree with you. I haven't seen um, the craziness that the news were talking about that, you know, nobody was going to pay rent. And, you know, yes, some people were late, you know, especially the ones that lost their jobs, but it's a very small percentage. And I get the same from every investor friend that I've talked to that they yeah. had their rents collections were 90, 95%. And it's al- almost always it's the same people that were late before this were still late during the, the uh, COVID-19 time Mm -hmm. so you know maybe a couple of people more but it hasn't been as bad as the news were you know projecting which is awesome
0: and i gotta tell you i'm one of the few i mean man when this thing started i freaked out because i do have asthma i am i consider myself a little susceptible to this and i locked myself in my house i wouldn't let anyone over But since I've been really researching it and you know we've been back and forth on Facebook and like, you know, talking to people, I'm actually really optimistic because once, now just imagine if a cure was found, this whole thing might just kind of go away, you know? And so that's where I'm focusing is you have the entire world with the brightest minds in the entire world fighting a common enemy and they have the technology to meet together that they've never had before in situations like this. They can meet on Zoom. They can meet through these different ways, even if they're not traveling, and share ideas. And and I I believe they're going to find the solution. I really do. And maybe, boy, we'll talk in six months and see if I was completely wrong. But I'm, I'm really confident that they're going to figure this thing out. And it's going to be life as, as normal or there will be definitely... A bounce back. Maybe we will bounce back to where we were, but that's that's just. I'm just going to stick with that because I'd rather think that than that we're going to have some kind of horrible apocalypse. (laughs) I
1: agree. I I am always positive as well.
0: Expert tips.
1: All right, so now we're going to go and talk about the three expert tips, and Kathy wants to uh, share with us how to fast track your investing
0: yeah I mean, you can go out and figure it out on your own, or you can talk to people who've been there and learn from them so I would say number one most most important thing learn the different asset classes that are out there there's so many I think we can all agree retail might be one that you skip right now don't don't worry about looking into that right now. there will be opportunity, but not as a beginner um warehouse you know, again that's that could be a good thing it's not necessarily something for a beginner uh, but you know maybe it's single family buy and hold maybe it's flipping wholesaling uh, apartments um mobile home parks storage whatever these things are that really excite you you know m- maybe just get an overview or talk to some people or listen to some podcasts on, on these different topics and then pick one and read 3 books on that specific topic from an expert and then listen to 3 podcasts on the topic and i mean like like all shows until you are kind of an expert on it. Go deep on your education on that one asset class and then go for it when you're armed with information. Cause you know, otherwise you jump in and, and and you you don't want to have to learn what other people have, have learned. You don't have to learn the hard way. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Tip number two. Tip number two on fast tracking. Yes. Oh my gosh. Let's see. I told you, and now I forgot. It was, um, well, mindset would be one. Um, I think in life in general, we do, we are powerful creators. That's why I refuse to talk about depressions or apocalypses. I'd rather look at all the ways that we can come out of this even better. You know, all the technologies some of the most incredible discoveries happen during times like this, because there's a little downtime, you know, and there's, whenever there's entrepreneurs basically entrepreneurs see problems and they fix it through whatever the, you know, whatever they're offering, the service they're offering. So I'd rather focus on all the incredible things that are going to happen. So keep positive because we really, our thoughts create our reality. So start with mindset and be grateful. Gratefulness tends to be the key and the secret to wealth, in my opinion. Awesome. Love it. All right. Number three. Number three. Uh, I'll just, I'll say, be very cautious because in this business, there are a lot of people who do not have your best interest in mind. And I I hate to say it. It's just the way it is in the, in the 20 years that I've been in this business, I've had more people come to my real estate events and I've literally had people come in and say, Hey, can I get up on stage and unload some properties? And, you know, because I have a room full of people who trust me. And they probably would buy anything from the people I put on stage. And I'm like, well, what do you mean unload properties? Like, well, I got these crappy properties I need to get rid of. Well, no, you can't do that. I'm No. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who just don't, don't think about others. So, you know, trust, but verify. And, and that sometimes the, the slickest and, and the best, let me just put it this way. Some people I thought were my friends still tried to rip me off or did. So, No matter what your relationship is, just understand what it takes to do your due diligence and verify everything. Just don't trust blindly in this business because you will lose money that way.
1: All right. That's a really good, good advice to follow. You know, and if you have a hunch, like, you know, verify, you know, because sometimes that, uh, you know, instinct tells you something. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kathy, this was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. And uh, I'm sure everybody enjoyed your story and your lessons learned. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Bye, everybody.
0: This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talley Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.talleyinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.